Well, last week on Easter, uh, we began a brand new series. Uh, speaking of Easter, on, on Easter, let me just say how proud of you I am and how uh, excited I am that the thousands of volunteers pulled that thing together in order for us to do five services. And uh, many people have been saying to me all week, how you doing uh, doing five services? Listen, that, that, my part's not the hard part. It's out there in the parking lot and it's taking care of babies and taking care of kids and, and uh, serving all over two campuses. And, and uh, last week on Easter Sunday, we had 8,939 people. And uh, isn't that awesome? And uh, it's really, really exciting. And uh, one of the cool things about that, A, 58 people gave their lives to Jesus uh, last Sunday on one of our campuses. And to Midtown, let me just say, it was a year ago today that we sent out a core group of 200 people over to Midtown. Now, we told them not to say anything uh, to anybody, but just to go over there and build a core group for a few months. And from Easter to August, that core group of people went over there and got ready and took care of a campus. And then in August, we officially launched the Midtown campus uh, with a few hundred people. And last Sunday, Midtown had 1,262 people. Uh, and so to Midtown, we love you. We're excited about what God is doing. And to Dean and the team there, you're doing a great job leading that. Uh, last week, we began and this series called Gone for Good. And we said there are things that we all want gone for good. But the truth of the matter is, is there are also things we don't want gone. And as honest as we can get, uh, they're going whether we like it or not. And men, you know that's true. There, there's stuff starts to go, right? And it begins with your hairline, right? And, and it works its way back and back and back and back and down and down and down. It moves its way from your head to your ears, to your nose, to your back. And, and uh, it, it's just working its way down. There, there's nothing attractive about putting sunscreen on your head, and uh, what else goes? Your eyesight goes, right? You can't look tough with glasses on. And uh, no one has ever said, oh, yeah, let's take that outside while they were pushing their glasses up, you know, on, on their nose. What else goes? Your swagger goes, right? And once you lose that, you just can't get it back. And so you lose your hair, you lose your eyesight, you lose your edge. And, and never in the history of men did you ever hear someone say, did you see that guy that everyone was scared of, the one in horned room glasses with sunscreen dripping off of his head? It, it just hasn't happened. And, and there are things that we don't want gone, but there are things that we do want gone. And that's what we're talking about in this series. And the question isn't just what kind of gone are we talking about? Uh, there, there's a fairly new believer that I've been spending quite a bit of time with. And uh, he called me last week and he said, hey, I just want to say to you that I will learn to tithe if you will never sing again. <laughs> and, uh, and so we kind of have a deal for a while. We're going to check his giving records to see how that plays out. Otherwise, I'm going to be singing again real soon. But, but the question isn't just what kind of gone are we talking about. It's what needs to be gone and what needs to get gone in our lives. And, and for some of us, it's hurts are wounds from the past that run really deep. And for others, it's some hangup uh, that needs to be gone. And, and for some, there are habits that are draining you dry and stealing life from you and leaving you feeling like an empty shell. And for all of us, there is something uh, that we all have to get gone. And the first part of that, we, we alluded to this last week, the first thing that we need to get gone for good or see gone for good is our sin nature. 
And that happens when we nail it to the cross, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. That goes on the cross with Jesus, and we nail our sins there where they no longer have power over us. And we showed you last week Christ's part and our part, and we broke that message. If you weren't here, go online and watch that or listen to it and catch up with us. But we talked about what Jesus' part is and what our part is. And the first part on our part is to die to sin. And that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is all about. If you got your Bible, turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And in that text of Scripture, we're building this series. And it says, is anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who belongs to him, has become a new person. Say new. A new person. The old life is gone. Say gone. A new life has begun. And, and some of you hear those words and you say, yeah, right. I, 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 don't, I don't get that. And, and others think, well, I'll just read it and read it and read it. And I'll just keep on reading it. And, and, and somehow if I just keep reading it, I hope it will stick uh, in my life somehow. But I don't really feel like the old life is gone for good. And I want to say to you today, if you are in Christ, that verse is true of you. It is true of you. You are different and you are changed. If you are in Christ Jesus, the old is gone and the new has begun. And I understand that you may not feel that way, but it is true. The old life, the old nature, the sin nature is cut out of you. The Bible uses the word there to describe that as circumcised. Your heart has been circumcised, meaning that that part of you, the old nature, it's gone. It's cut away. It's not going to grow back. It's gone from your life, but you are left empty. And there is a, you're not left empty rather. And there is a new nature that is put inside of you. And in that spot, he places a new nature in you. And you say, well, I, I'm still sin. And I still act like a sinner. Listen to me. Identity is not determined by behavior. Identity is determined by birth. I could get up on this table and jump around like a monkey. It does not make me a monkey. Why? Because I was not born a monkey. I was born a human being, and that determines my identity. When you are, that's why the, it's so crucial that the Bible uses the word born again. When you are born in Christ, you are now born a saint. You say, well, I still sin. Well, that's true. We all live beneath who we are, and we act in ways that are beneath our identity. It does not change our identity. At salvation, there are all kinds of things that you are guaranteed. One of them is heaven, right? When you come to Christ, you are guaranteed heaven. You are guaranteed to be God's child. You're guaranteed to be surrounded by the love of God. You are guaranteed access to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. But what you are not guaranteed is a struggle-free life. Why? Because God didn't reach down at salvation and reach into your brain and push the reset button. He didn't do that. You still have flesh to deal with. And we're going to make a distinction throughout this series, the difference between flesh and the sin nature, because they're two different things. But you brought into your old, into your new life, your old life, and you brought in the old habits and the thought patterns of the flesh. And so while the new self desires to live for God, desires to be intimate with God, desires to walk with God, it's your flesh that won't quit. And your flesh persists and suggesting ways to you to live life independently of God. 
But the sin nature, listen, it's a theological truth that you have got to understand and you've got to grow to the point that you get this and claim this and live in this. The sin nature is gone for good, but your struggle against the flesh isn't. In fact, I would say it this way. The struggle against the flesh is here for good. This side of eternity, we're going to struggle with the flesh. And the good part of that is this, that because of that struggle, it keeps us dependent upon the Father. We've got to stay intimate with him. We've got to stay close with him. We, we don't ever get to a place where we coast. It's always, always, always all about him. And, and if we could do it uh, and, and overcome the problem of the flesh, we wouldn't need him, right? But, but we do need him, and we need him on a moment-by-moment basis. And all the things in your past, uh, they became a part of your flesh, and now they are working against you. If you grew up separated from God, if you were raised independent of God, then you learned how to cope and you learned how to succeed and you learned how to live life without God in your life. And and so your flesh will naturally want to go back to that old way of living without God or living and doing life independently of God. They used to say that practice makes perfect. That's just, they kind of have done away with that saying now because now the saying is practice makes average but but the truth of the matter is is that bad practice makes bad and and there are things that you can practice poorly and and it makes you worse you're worse off than if you didn't practice at all and and that's definitely true of golf swing there you, you can develop some things in your golf swing a hitch in your golf swing and do it wrong and practice that over and over and and you've you're reinforcing bad habits in your swing. That's the reason sometimes the first time you go back after a year or two years off, you swing the golf club really, really well. Why? Because you've forgotten all those old habits. It's definitely true of me. My golf swing has been messed up for five years. And I've been practicing it and reinforcing it and practicing it and reinforcing it. It's just gotten worse. I went to, I won in a golf tournament a couple of years ago, this golf evaluation at a place called Golf Tech. And I went about three or four months ago and they hook all these sensors up to your body and they put these video cameras on you and you swing the golf club and all, and then they take that and a side-by-side with a pro golfer. And they, and they show you, and then they show all the tour averages of hip turn and shoulder rotation and all those things, and they show you where you fall w- w- within the tour uh, ranges or the averages on tour. And at the conclusion of this free golf evaluation that I won, the conclusion was it's going to take 12 months and $2,300 to fix your golf swing. I said, what can you do for 10? And, and, and you know, and, and play with it. But, but your flesh, listen, it retains memories and it retains behaviors from your past. And you want to live a new life, right? Now that you're new, you want to walk in victory. You want to walk in freedom. But there's always this thing that just seems to be blocking it and, and coming against it. You died to sin, but now you got to die to self. And, and that's what we're defining as flesh. And I want to show you today how you do that. I want to go to scripture and show you because sometimes I'll get somebody in my office regularly. I'll get somebody in my office and they'll say, pastor, I've got this addiction and I've got this thing. This, this just tripping me up over and over. And and I'd like for you to pray with me about it. Or I'm cheating on my wife and and, and I'd like for you to pray. I've got this. And and, and, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is that they say. The, The illustration plays out that they, I've got this big, big issue in my life. And I want you to hear me today when I say, I believe in prayer and I believe in miracles that come through prayer. I've watched miracles come through prayer. But, but in these scenarios, most of the time, it's just the beginning step. 
And it's not a lack of prayer. I'm just telling you, it's experience. And, and what I'm saying to you is, is they come in my office and, and I pray for them, but that's just the first step because they need to go further. They need further steps. Some of them need a counselor. Some of them need a mentor. Some of them need deliverance. Some of, if it's an addiction, some of them need some sort of treatment. And, and so many times after we pray, they say, you know what, pastor, I'm good. I feel so much better now. I think that did it. And you don't know, no, that didn't do it. You, you gotta take further steps in your walk with Christ. You, we don't believe in prayer. Yes, I believe in prayer. And, and you say, well, I don't need counseling now. I feel better about myself. And they walk out of their office and I know they haven't taken care of the problem. The pain may be gone for a moment uh, but, and the guilt may be gone for a moment, but the problem is still there. And they need to take that next step to see it gone for good. You gotta take the next step to see those things gone for good in your life. You gotta understand and you've gotta come to a place where you realize that a short prayer with your pastor over coffee isn't enough. And you may feel good for a little bit and it may pass like some sort of you know, uh, anesthetic in your life, but you gotta get to this place where you truly gain freedom from this problem in your life, and you need more than a little prayer now and then to get freedom from that. Imagine you're this wear kid. You know what I'm talking about? This kid that broke his leg last week in the basketball game. If you haven't been paying attention to that, you need to just wake up to reality of what's happening in the world around you. There's a thing called the Final Four happening. <laughs> and other than the Masters, listen, it's about to come up in a week or so, we're about to go into a TV desert land until NFL kicks back up. And so I'm hanging on for all the TV is worth because I'm about to kiss it goodbye for several months until sports come back on. And, and imagine you're this kid. My, my daughter has shown me images on her phone of this, what do you call this bone? The tibia sticking straight out of his flesh that far on the basketball court. Oh, I thought when I was watching the game, I thought somebody got poked in the eye or something, you know, but then all of a sudden all these players are falling down about to vomit on, on the floor and, and they, their stomachs are sick because they saw the leg. Now imagine they take this kid where and they take him into the emergency room and they put him on a drip and about 10 minutes into the drip, he goes, I think I'm good. <laughs> I don't feel it anymore. I don't need surgery any longer. Is the doctor gonna say, okay, get dressed? No, because there's work to be done and the problem is still there. He still needs surgery. Listen, you feel better because you got drugs in your system blocking the pain. The pain may be gone, but the problem is not. And for all of us, the problem is in our flesh and we have to deal with this flesh in our lives. And if you're a Christ follower, hear me, the sin nature is gone for good, but you need now to live like its power over you is gone. And you gotta learn how to do that. And you gotta, you can pray a prayer, but if you continue to obey the desires of your flesh, you will live like a sinner instead of the saint that you are. Galatians 2.20, Paul says it this way. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's been crucified, not coming back again. You say, well, Jesus rose. That's not the picture. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's Jesus living it out in me. That's the first part of dying to sin. The sin nature is killed. 
but we still have a choice to make. We can go on sinning if we continue to follow our fleshly desires, or we can live a new way, free from the power of sin. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, I, I taught on this verse for a few minutes last week. And in verse 12, what he says is that believers are, have no obligation any longer to live according to the flesh. We're not obligated. We used to be slaves to that, but now we have been set free. Now we are children and co-heirs with God. We have no obligation to live under the flesh. And he goes on to say in verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Strong, strong words. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Life and death, spirit and flesh, there is a constant struggle between the two. And it is like a war raging inside of you. And one is going to win. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Write that one down. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Let me read it again in case you missed it. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. And this is the fight that is going on within all of us. It comes from within. And our flesh is fighting against the Spirit of God. In fact, I would say our flesh is fighting against our spirit. And they fight with one another. It's spirit against flesh. And we need something to tip the scales in our favor, right? A secret weapon. You go back one verse in Galatians 5 to verse 16. And here's what Paul says. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's it. That's the secret. Walk in the Spirit, and you overcome the flesh. To gratify means to give into. It means to fulfill the desires of your flesh. And he's one word there, four letters, one word, W-A-L-K, walk. Walk in the Spirit and you put an end to the flesh. I want to show you today just two facets of walking in the Spirit, okay? And here they are. Let the Spirit search you, let the Spirit lead you. Let the Spirit search you and let the Spirit lead you. Look at Psalm 139 on the screen if you would. This is a psalm written by King David. Okay? And it's a psalm written at a high point of frustration where David is frustrated with the struggle. And we all relate to that frustration, don't we? All of us relate to that. Where we're battling the flesh and, we, and it's frustrating and no one is immune to it. Not me, not my father, not my wife, not my kids. None of us are immune to it. No, no one in the Bible was immune to it either. Not the Apostle Paul, not James, not John. And here we see in Psalm 139, not even David. And he's struggling. And how does he express this struggle? What does he say? Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. God, look down deep inside of me and, and know me. Why, why do we need God to do the searching? Because we are unable to do the searching ourselves. Listen, we're, we're not honest enough to do the searching ourselves. We're not perceptive enough to do the searching ourselves. We need God to do the searching. Self-evaluation is not going to cut it. We need divine glory of God, the light that comes with the divine glory of God to shine into our lives. We need the Holy Spirit of God who knows all truth 
to know us and then reveal to us that truth. That's what we need. The point is that we don't enter into this feel-good relationship with God and then all your problems go away. That's not how it works. And you have to look past the pain to the inner problem in your life. And you got to be able to put aside those emotions and get to the heart of why. Why do we continue to slip up? Why, why are we always you know, in that cycle? Verse 23, let me read it again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Know my heart, David's saying. Know my mind and know my emotions. You have to let God evaluate. Then listen, when David is saying know these things, that's not, I mean, when you really think through that, God already knows all that, right? He already knows everything about everybody. He already knows it. That's not the point of this of saying, God, you know all that. The point is saying, God, would you show me? Would you take what you know about me and what you see in me and would you show it to me? Would you evaluate it? I don't want you just to know it. I want you to evaluate it and show me what you think about it. The way that I'm living, is that living by the Spirit or is that just gratifying the flesh? God, would you evaluate my thoughts? Are my thoughts honoring to you or or are they of the flesh? Actions spring forth out of my thoughts and, and, and decisions. And so I want you to evaluate my thoughts, God. You gotta let him evaluate your emotions. Could be that you have wrong emotions fueling your thoughts, one of my boys, he gets frustrated. I mean, he is, he, he is just wound tight. And he's a competitor upon competitor upon competitor upon competitor. And when he loses, he's mad. When, when he when, really mad. I mean, at like four, he's crying over a flag football game. And Mary's like, let's tell him not to cry. I said, no, let him cry. Why? Because I hate losing too. And they should have won that game, right? You know, and... and they were four, but but he, he's so, t- and sometimes he'll, he, he will express his frustration in an unhealthy way. And I will say to him, son, you can't do that. We got to talk about this. Well, I'm not allowed to express my frustration. No, you're allowed to express that you're frustrated, but you do it that way and I'm going to spank you because I'm going to express my frustration. With your Listen, there's a searching that we need God to do in our hearts. And sometimes we have wrong emotions. And we think, well, that's the right emotion, and it's a wrong emotion. And if we let God show us, he will show. That's not even the right emotion to feel there. And that searching from God only happens in the context of an intimate relationship with Jesus. It only happens there. And the only way to be truly intimate with God is to be honest before him. But honesty is tough. And we're not all completely honest all the time. And usually we lie because we're afraid. We're, we're afraid that, you know, if someone finds out who we really are or what our problems really are, they may not like us or they may not accept us. And, and, and so we wear masks and we put on a fake smile and we wave a nice wave, hoping that no one ever finds out the truth. We all, we all lie a little bit, don't we? We're afraid of what people think. I'll give you an example. I don't know anyone who admits to going to McDonald's. I don't know anyone who admits to go there, right? I mean, you say, do you, uh, you go to McDonald's? No, it's gross. <laughs> but there's one on every corner, and they sell six billion hamburgers, and there's only 300 million people in our country. <laughs> I'm not a calculus teacher, but I think that means we're all eating McDonald's. A lot of it. 
Is there anything better than their French fries? When they're hot, I mean, they're just amazing, right? You ever get that bonus fry down in the bottom of the bag that wasn't in the thing, but it's like, it's like God was like, I'm blessing you. And it's always longer than the rest of them in the thing, you know? And, and God, he just wants you to pay it forward, right? You, you, you ever find a fry in your car six months later? It looks exactly like it did. Don't ever confuse the old with the new because they are not the same. <laughs> and you cannot hit, reheat them. It's a horrible experience. But we lie to ourselves, don't we? We lie to our neighbors, we lie to our friends, we lie to our family. And listen, the lies aren't helping you. They may make you feel a little bit better, but they're, they're really not. And we lie to God too. And we can come to church and we can lift our hands and we can sing a few worship songs, but, but we've got this issue. And we, and we feel this little spark at church and we think, okay, God, I'm good. I got this big issue over here, but we're good. I felt something at, at church. But you haven't uncovered the problem. It's still festering. And honesty is hard because we're so afraid if we're honest, we'll be rejected. And, and no one will accept us for who we are if they know who we really are. But it's in that intimate relationship with God that we're safe. I defined intimacy lots of times for you. And intimacy is knowing fully and being fully known with no fear of rejection. That's what it is. And in that intimate relationship with Jesus, he wants to know us fully. We want to be known fully by him, and we want to know him fully with no fear of rejection. This high school leadership group we've been doing in our house, uh, several weeks ago, I was preaching, and while I was preaching, uh, one of the girls who's a senior in the group and a cheerleader at one of the high schools was sitting right over here by her dad. I don't know if she's here today or not, but, and I didn't get permission to tell the story, so I'm asking for forgiveness ahead of time. But, but while I was preaching, I used an illustration from the group. And one of the things that one of the high school kids said that was insightful. And her dad is a really funny guy. And, and uh, he just kind of nudged his daughter and said, you ought to say something smart. So he'd use you as an illustration. In the sermon, he's talking while I'm preaching, which is bad. And, 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 and so he, but he said something funny. And she said, you know, maybe I will or whatever. So she tells me that after church. Well, that night in, in the group, we're sitting in my living room. So there's 29, 30 kids, I think, that night sitting around our kitchen and living room. And we're sharing, and we've been doing this post-it note timeline. And I've shared about this before, but where we take these post-its, and we, we did it on two glass doors in, in my house, and we went through the life of Joseph. And we listed in one color post-its painful things and experiences, and another color post-it uh, joy and, and fulfillment. And, and we kind of went through chapters of his life. And when you step back and look at it, you go, wow. I mean, there's a whole lot of pain early on, a whole lot of joy later on, and, and kind of, you know, and just looking at this journey. And then what we did is we gave every kid a poster board and they begin to map out their own life and, and the joys where they really knew God sat down on them and where God did something special with them or God seemed to bless something or they got a real high out of that or they, this painful thing and these pains and wounds and hurts. And, and so we're, we're doing all of this. We're helping every kid do their own life. And, and this girl that night sat right there in my living room and as some tears began to run down her cheeks, and I know the backstory. And the backstory is, is that there's a divorce at home, and mom has been less than functional, and at times 
unhealthy. And, and the kids go in this journey where they want to connect with mom and then realize it's not healthy. And, and they separate. And so here's this 17, 18-year-old girl sitting in my living room saying, I know God's heart for reconciliation. And I know God's heart for restoration. And I know God's heart for relationship. And I am separated from my mother in this wound and in this pain and this hurt. And she said, today is the very first time that I realized that Jesus is not weeping because of me. He is weeping with me. And I looked at that girl and I said, you just said something's going to end up in a sermon. Because you didn't get that from yourself. God gave you that. And it was the morning that I taught the shortest verse in Scripture. Jesus wept. And she said, for the very first time I saw it, that he's not weeping because of my decisions and because of, you know, my separation. Because He's weeping with me. Listen to me. God wants to reveal the issue in your life, not so he can build a case against you. He wants to reveal it in your life so he can come alongside you and fight with you and fight for you. And he wants to bring that thing out into the open and lay it on the table in the light so that he can be a part of the solution. And when we leave it in the dark and we hide it in the corner, that's where the devil fights. And he will kick your tail. But God loves you enough to bring that out into the light and to put it on the table. And he is not angry with you. He loves you. And he sees the damage that the flesh causes in our lives. And he weeps with you, not because of you. David put it this way, verse 24. Point out anything in me that offends you, God. What could offend God? What could possibly hurt him? And that Hebrew word offend is also translated wicked, which is what we think of, that it's sin or the demonic or, you know, the devil, and, we, and it is. But, but it comes from the same root word, sorrow, which means there are things in our lives that bring sorrow to God, and they pain him, not because he can't believe we would act that way, but because he sees what it's doing to his children, and he sees that it is hurting us. And he sees what it, and, and it pains him. And he feels what we feel. And, and, and he wants to heal us. He doesn't want us to cover up the pain, but he wants to take away the problem. So he sent his son from heaven to die for, for self, for sin. He left heaven by dying to himself. He left the glory of God, the throne of the Father, and he came to earth, became a baby with all the grief and all the limitations that come with it. So he died to self. But he also died for sin when he died on the cross for you and, and for me. And so we let the Spirit search us. That's the first facet of walking in the Spirit. But we also follow his lead. He died to self and for sin, so we die to sin and to self. We're led by him, the second facet is to let the Spirit lead you. Now, when you write down the word lead, I, I hope that what you're thinking is not the illustration or the image of like a pace car in, the, in NASCAR. You know when they start the race and there's that car out front that's the pace car that is setting the pace for all the other guys, which every time I see that, and I don't watch NASCAR very often, I, 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 I think I can't believe those NASCAR drivers follow 
that, that pace car. They seem to me to be the most individualistic, rebellious athletes on the planet. Because they'll wreck you on purpose and then get out of the car and beat the mess out of you. And it's very entertaining, actually. But it is not about being moved along with him in front. It is about letting him have complete control. It is not the picture of following a pace car around a track. It is the picture of a train on tracks. And he is the engine and you are hitching your car to him. And he is leading you through the process. Not only is he picking the direction, he's doing all the work. You're just coasting with him and riding with him. And you can let the spirit lead, you can let him lead you, or you can unhitch your car and just drift down the tracks. It's completely up to you. But being led by the spirit takes giving up that control and giving up that independence to God. It is not, it's about saying to God on a regular basis, and this ought to be a daily prayer for you. God, I surrender to you right now. I surrender my thoughts. I surrender my actions. I surrender my will. I surrender my rights. I surrender my emotions. I'm giving all of that over to you. I pray that all the time. I walk into a meeting that I know is gonna be tough and I'm gonna feel things that I wanna protect myself or protect the church or my family or my image or whatever and I know I'm gonna feel all those things and God, as I go into here, I don't wanna hear any of that. I wanna hear the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit only. I want the core Alex, whom you love, who is soft, who is pliable, who, who is made before you, who you created before the foundation of the world, who you saved with the blood of Jesus. That's the only one I want present. That Alex and the Holy Spirit of God. Every other personality, every other wound, every other emotion, every other thought, every other act of selfishness, I, it has no place in this meeting surrendering full control to the Lord. And it's not about you exerting influence over God. We bring him down to our level when we try to exert our influence over God. Listen, it is about him exerting his influence over us. Listen, we're not trying to get God to do something. We're trying to let him do everything. That we literally are asking him, you call the shots. Make me pliable to you and to your way. Show me what you need to show me and give me the courage to deal with it. And, and this is where I would normally in a message give you five practical steps on how to do that. But I got to be honest with you. I don't know the five practical steps here. This is a really tough one. A really, really tough one. I've been asking mentors and believers in the faith for 20 years. Would you tell me what it means to walk in the spirit? And I've gotten just a handful of good answers. I've gotten many, many answers. In fact, I've gotten as many answers as the people I've asked. And there's really no one set of answers that we find in this book. It comes down to this, giving God complete control. Whatever that looks like for you and however that plays out in your life, it is giving God complete control. It is daily acknowledging God and the spirit of God in your life and the walk with God in your life. And there's two types of people here today. And the first group of people have never made the decision to follow Christ. Like the 58 people who did last week, you've never made that decision to trust Christ. And you keep doing stuff that hurts you and hurts your family and hurts your relationships. And you have no idea why. 
It keeps happening. But you feel so powerless. And there's a reason you feel that way. Because you are. All of us are. All of us are powerless in and of ourselves. That's the reason we feel that way. And and being honest and admitting that, that's where it starts. And if you're honest today, what you would say is, I can't do this. I can't do it. But when you follow Jesus and you give your life to Christ and you cross that faith line, the Holy Spirit of God enters your life. And now he's on your side. And he starts fighting in you and starts fighting for you. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, that is your step. And and I would love to lead you there. So before I continue, would you just bow your head? If that's you today and you want to trust Christ and give your life to him, would you just pray with me and would you just say, dear God, I, I know I'm a sinner. But today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord. You call the shots in my life. You take control. Come in as my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I give you all of my life. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, listen, your life is different. And Jesus is now living in you as your personal Lord and Savior. Listen, the second group of people today, you've done that already. You've made that decision already. You may have made it last week. You may have made it last month. You may have made it 20 years ago. But you still feel powerless. You still feel like you're drifting. You still feel like you're out of control. And the flesh is winning the struggle, and you're not sure why. Can I tell you why? It's because we don't give full reign to God. We take back control. We take back the wheel. And we don't let him stay in control. And we keep unhitching our lives from his spirit. And when we unhitch our lives from his spirit, we drift. And if your thought of follow me means that that as long as you make sure that you can see his taillights in the distance... As long as you got an idea of which direction he's going, you're good. No, no, listen. The truth of following him means we stop following everything else. We stop following our own ambitions and our own pleasures and our own desires. It means to hitch up to him and truly let him call the shots. And the answer for both groups is the same today. Ask God to search you. That's where it starts. God, search me. Look past the pain in my life to the problem and reveal it to me. Ask God to search your heart and your motives and your thoughts and your emotions. And right now, I'd like for us to do that. I'm going to give us some space and some time to do that. The decision to follow him and let him lead is a decision of your will. And the struggle within us, it's in our flesh and it's in us. And no one's immune to that. No one. I told you no one in the Bible was ever immune to that. Not even Jesus. In Luke 22, Jesus last night on earth, he's praying and he's praying with the struggle that's going on within him. 
He knows the cross is coming. He knows torture is coming. He knows a death sentence is facing him, and he doesn't want to do it. And his flesh is saying no, but his spirit is saying yes, and he is struggling. And in verse 44 of Luke 22, he prayed more fervently, and the Bible says he was in such agony that his sweat fell, his blood fell like drops of sweat. Hematridosis is what was happening there. He was in such agony that his veins and vessels and arteries were releasing blood into his sweat glands. There was a struggle going on. A fight was going on. So what does he do and what is his prayer? Here's his prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. I can't make surrender any more simple than that. Not my will, but yours be done be done. Not the easy way, not my way, not my flesh, not my will, but Father, I want you to shape my will where it is the same as your will. Would you take your will and my will and make them one? That's what it means to be led by the Spirit of God.